Okay, so um, this is of part three, chapter three, under the topic of how to study the Bible. This is studying logically. Um, and since I had run out of ink last week, and some of you probably didn't have a chance to read this, uh, I, and I've, I apologize to those of us who were in that place, what I'd like to do is actually read the first section, um, partially uh, because I think it's important uh, that we don't... It would be easy to have a thought or an emotion from the chapter not based on what's actually said, and so I want to read what's actually said um, so that we can kind of be start off on the same page. Um, <clears throat> As we said in the previous session, an academic study of Scripture does not ensure a proper interpretation. If studying the Bible were all about academics, then our best bet would be to find the most intelligent person we know and have him or her interpret it for us. But while it's true that rigorous study does not guarantee right results, it does not mean that hard work and a logical approach to Scripture is insignificant. Not only is it helpful, it is necessary and commanded. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So God calls you to, quote, do your best. Laziness is inexcusable. We are studying the very words that God chose to communicate to us. So, in addition to studying prayerfully and obediently, we must study diligently. God calls us to love him with our minds, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. So, it is an act of worship to use our minds to understand his thoughts, which in turn will lead us to love him even more. We tend to listen carefully when there are consequences for not listening. It's like misunderstanding driving directions and ending up lost and frustrated. How much more important is it to truly understand what God is telling you? As Christians, we claim to base our lives upon the teaching of the Bible. But what if we misunderstood that teaching? The fact of the matter is that we all misunderstand certain passages of Scripture. If we all understood the Bible perfectly, we would all agree on every point of doctrine. Clearly, this is not the case. There are many factors that lead us to misunderstand what the Bible is saying, our own assumptions, blindly following the views of people who have been influential in our lives, our sinful desire to do our own thing, etc. All of these factors are only intensified when we don't pay close attention to what the Bible is actually saying, rather than what we think it must be saying. It's good for us to keep in mind some general principles for interpreting Scripture. So, I want to talk about a couple of these, and we'll throw out a couple of uh, questions. Now, in the next little section, he's talking about considering the context. And you hear me refer to that, at least, all the time. And you're used to me on a Sunday reading blocks of Scripture more often than just a verse for that very purpose. And I would assume you're here tonight because you appreciate that in part. <laughs> or at least it doesn't drive you so crazy as to keep you from coming. Um, so, obviously, this is a part of it that I agree with, that considering the context is really important. And I like his thought here about thinking, think about these blocks of scripture more like an apple than an orange. He says, you know, when you take a bite out of an apple, you're taking a bite out of the whole. When you eat an orange, in most cases, you're going to peel the orange and separate the little slices that God made for us in there and then eat those as an individual, right? What he means by that is, don't just take that one little section and lift that out, but consider the whole, like taking a bite out of the whole apple. And I thought that was a great way to kind of open the discussion about how we study the Bible. And I love the fact that he is saying, hey, we all get it wrong somewhere. <laughs> if, and, and we're human, and God created us all unique. And so that's inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. But we still it is still worthwhile. It's not right for us to just say, oh well, we still it's worthwhile to pursue to pursue the getting truth out of scripture as much as possible and to learn more from each other and to actually grow in the process. Um, so what I love here, he talks about the, towards the end of this section before question number one, which is the page numbers is one twenty six. Um, 
He's talking about reading the Bible in its entirety, and, and you've probably also heard me refer to this as well. And I love the last phrase here, uh, whatever, or last sentence, whatever your, uh, before question one, whatever approach you take to reading the Bible, the more often you read it, the better you will understand the whole story. So the first question is, think about the way you tend to study the Bible. Would you say you make an effort to seek out what the Bible is actually saying? Do you pay attention to the context? If so, how has this helped you? If not, how do you think this might change the way you read the Bible? For me, it's like a, it's a monitor that I have to put on. Um, it's, I think there's always a temptation to want it to say something. <laughs> and especially... When, when you don't know what it's saying, of course, you're probably going to go what you want it to say, but when you do know what it's saying, that's when the temptation mm. comes up and you're like, I wish I wish it didn't say that. I wish <laughs> it didn't say that. But there's always like a monitoring. That's why um, mm. I like when people say, pray before you read it. Um, mm-hmm. And the question <clears throat> asks, if not, how do you think this might change the way you read the Bible? In addition to praying for understanding, I know what I'll do based off of reading that question and what he said. Pray that um, that I would that I would uh, take take whatever take whatever it says, regardless of what it says. Because mm. if I mm-hmm. believe that this is mm-hmm. truth, either the words of God. Mm-hmm. Or the inspired word of God, and then I'm going to humble myself before it and take whatever. That, I've learned the difference between um, um, thinking that it's true and actually being humbly obedient to it. Because when you're <laughs> humbly obedient, before you get to actually doing it and living it out, you actually, once you read it, and it's something that's hard and it's like, yeah, that cuts you right in half. You'll say, "Amen, amen." That you know, thank you, God. You know, it's a difference between right. I wish I didn't say that, and you try to avoid it within yourself and being dishonest with yourself. And then you're just like, "Okay, I've come short. We've all come short. I'm going to seek to not come short." <laughs> you know, and I, that's one thing that I will pray uh, when I read the Bible. That's good. Yeah. Anyone else? I think for me it changes the impact that so many of, especially the parables have in the New Testament. When you know what the cultural context was Mm. at the time Mm -hmm. that Jesus was living and you read some of the things (coughs) that he did and said out of the context it might still be nice or good or bold but in the context, it might be completely radical. Mm-hmm. And it just, it makes it more impactful for me seeing just how he did stand up against things when they weren't mm-hmm. right. And before I really kind of started looking into the context on my own, it, they were just stories. But yeah. they come so much more alive with the context, I think. Yeah. I know a lot of times for me, I would just way overgeneralize the Bible's context as before Christ or after Christ. It was either before He shed His blood, and I needed something. As as Daniel said, if you need something from the Bible, then you tend to like find something in it. So like, if I was angry, I would read Old Testament, like God smiting generations, and like, yes, that is what I need right now, and like realizing that that's not the right way to approach it. Um, or if I if I was a jerk, then I read something after Jesus, and I'm like, oh, grace and forgiveness. <laughs> you know? And so, so like looking at it that way, I mean, in the sense of really, and I, I like the way she put it, as far as like really focusing on some of the even the historical context of mm-hmm. the way things were referenced and what was happening at that time, and, and kind of the just the, I mean. Like, I think we always just, like, a good, perfect example is, like, the, the Good Samaritan. Like, it's just mm-hmm. such a broad story that gets said over and over and over again. Yeah. But if you don't understand the real 
like geopolitical, sociological implica- implications of that one story, mm-hmm. and then then to fast forward to like what's going on in this day and age. I mean, what would be the hated people of our generation that would do something like that? Mm-hmm. And that's what God honored in sharing that story. I mean, I think anytime Jesus opened his mouth and shared a story, that's significant because mm-hmm. they, right. you know that's spoke across time, and so that kind of makes me want to change the way I look at what was written and what was said as far as the importance and the gravity of it mm-hmm. not just it was under the grace or what before the grace yeah right yeah that's good <coughs> next section I think is really important and worthy of your time to go back and read carefully know the difference between interpretation and application and I'm going to uh, read uh, from this the paragraphs uh, just above question number two Right below, sometimes when we talk about what this passage means to me, what we are actually talking about is application rather than interpretation. And I think this is an important concept for us to talk about. And you have to read the chapter to understand that he's not talking down. He's not talking down about Bible study settings where we read a passage and say, this is what this means to me. He's not talking down about that. You would um, hear kind of clearly how he's defining, or how they are defining it. With interpretation, we are asking what the passage is saying um, and what it means. With application, we are applying that meaning to our specific situation. Ultimately, each passage has one meaning, but it might have many different applications. This is very important thought for us to have. Um, as we approach the scripture. And I see a lot of heads nodding, so I think you kind of follow what's going on. Uh, but very important that you understand that just because... And this is... Um, Daniel and I were actually talking about this this past week. <clears throat> Reading the Bible once is not enough. It's not, oh, okay, I have attained, I've reached, I'm done. It is the Bible is an inexhaustible resource. It can never be exhausted. It has something that it is clearly saying... And every time I approach it, there is fresh application for me. Mm-hmm. So it's very good. So right be- on before question number two, application depends on our specific life situations. So we may all read the same passage and walk away with different applications. Last week, Jamie and Malia were talking about you know a different style of small group. Interpretation, on the other hand, is all about discovering what God has actually said and what he intended to communicate. We should all read the same passage and walk away with the same meaning. Um, I think, does everyone, does that register for you? Does it kind of make sense? This is not um, a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. Okay? Kind of like, uh, for example, the length of our services and taking care of kids during the service. That's not a problem to solve. That's a tension to manage. <laughs> Does that make sense? The difference between interpretation and application and you understanding that and it being a part of your relationship with the scriptures is not a problem that you solve. It's a tension that you manage. You are always uh, coming to the scripture for what you need. Right? That's always somewhere in you. I mean, no matter how hard we try to grow up, <laughs> it's always somewhere in there. And yet we need to be constantly wanting to properly interpret what is it saying, regardless of my situation, my desires, my needs, my wants. So that, kind of like Daniel was saying earlier, I can make sure that I'm walking away with a more pure or what God has to say to me regardless of what my desire is. Like Joe is saying, I want judgment or I want mercy. Right? That's important. And I love the way that they talk about in the next session, section here, find the plain meaning. Now, I come from charismatic church background. What is very common in a charismatic church background is to pull an Old Testament story and have a New Testament meaning for it, it's really not anywhere in the scriptures. It's like, and see this, this means, you know, one of my favorite messages was actually about Esau and Jacob and one, you know, you know, uh, 
Jacob, Jacob, yeah, reaching, reaching out and all that, you know. And sometimes when other people, it looks like they're taller, they're more attractive, they've got the better, you know, education, the better family. But you're going to be one that's promoted. You're going to be one that's, you know. I really enjoyed that sermon, but it was not at all a proper interpretation of what the scripture meant. Um, God certainly does bless whom he chooses to bless and in different ways and we are all blessed just to be created by him but it is very very common for us to be over spiritualizing some passages and that's a part of what the authors are talking about here listen don't fall prey to that read it read it read it the more you read the whole thing the better you'll have you can step back and pull deep, powerful spiritual meaning out of all of it. Taking a bite out of the apple instead of the one little section of the orange. So, but look for the plain meaning. Because you can't, um, you know, like I've been reading through the chronological order, and so the, all, all through the Old Testament, back and forth, back and forth, before the temple, and then after the temple, and then after the second temple, and then the, all this stuff, the kings, the judges, through it all... It was about God wanting their heart worship. It's in every one of the stories. And over and over and over through the major prophets, the minor prophets, the short ones, the tall ones, God's always communicating to them. Listen, I'm after your heart. Over and over and over. But you I'm not going to get that as easily if I spend hours pulling super spiritual meanings out of small verses. Because it fits my needs at the moment. Right. So, and to be honest with you, I really do think that it takes doing life together, kind of like this, to allow us to help each other. You know, God bless you, and God does love you, and He does care for you, but that verse... It doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> We've got to be lots of love, lots of compassion, lots of. But it takes you have to do life together with each other for a while before you really believe, without having to say it, that this person loves me. Let me give you a quick example of this because I think this is a really important point. I had I was involved with a situation. Um, where a pastor who at one point was my direct supervisor was now the senior pastor of another church, and the guy who was his youth pastor had, uh, once upon a time, um, I had discipled, and they were just not getting along. And they were not talking to each other, and they were not relating to each other the way that they should, and they had constant miscommunications. And I, as much as I tried to not be was being pulled into this relationship deeper and deeper. And for months, I couldn't get on the phone with the senior pastor. That really bothers me because I very much respect him, and it was, it was a difficult thing. And then some, the younger guy made some decisions, and some things happened that shouldn't have happened the way that they happened. And so with me not having talked to the senior pastor for months, all of a sudden he finds out that this stuff went down not the way that he wanted it to, Oh, and by the way, the young man's been in contact with me. Well, that looks bad at me. And let me tell you exactly what he said to me the first time we were able to get on the phone with each other. He said, I asked myself, would Ben ever do anything to harm me or to harm this church? And the answer is clearly no. So I must have the wrong information. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, that is both, you can make a decision of your character to believe the best about someone, but it was really more about the fact that we walked some miles together. And we, we, and I chose to love him, and he chose to love me, and we, we did time together. And so we knew each other. It's when you know each other, you, you actually come to small group, come to Sunday, hang out with each other, go roller skating, go bowling, do where you do life together where then you come to believe that the other person has your best interest in mind. So when they say, it is a, I don't think it means what you think it means, you know that they love you, that they're trying to help you. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I feel it's really important. So face value. Take scripture at face value. 
uh, very important we find the plain meaning of each passage. Uh, <clears throat> take the Bible literally. I want to read uh, from the third paragraph on page 132. The third paragraph on page 132. The third, uh, fourth sentence, sorry. What we mean is that we will take the scriptures at face value, and when the context suggests that the author is using a figure of speech or some sort of poetic or prophetic imagery, then we will follow the normal rules of human language and interpret the passage accordingly. Now, what he's, this is under the section where he's talking about take the Bible literally. He's saying, well, let me qualify what literally means. There's different types. I don't know if you have ever thought about this, uh, but there are different types of literature within the scripture. There's poetry, songs, there's historical accounts, there's prophecy, there's stuff that is what we would call uh, not a literature type per se, but descriptive, like the book of Acts. It's describing what occurred, and then there's prescriptive, where it's prescribing what you should do, like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, those sort of things. So there's different types, and so you want to take the Bible literally, in other words, take it to mean what it says that it means. But also take into consideration, am I in a section of poetry or prophetic imagery? Or, you know, especially if you're going to read Daniel 6-12 through 12 or the book of Revelations. I very much hesitate to say this, but if you need help, I would be happy to help you. It's a part of my education, and I actually taught that class in the Bible college as well, just on that section of scripture. We call it the apocalyptic lit or the sections of the Bible that are about the end times, Daniel 6 through 12 of the Revelations. That's for another day. We really don't need this. <laughs> but um, take it literally. So there's some sections, like for example, uh, most people believe that, for example, that there's some sections of, the, of Daniel's visions in 6 through 12 that were already fulfilled before the New Testament was done, and some that were fulfilled within the couple hundred years afterwards. By the Roman Empire, by the you know there were there were things that were fulfilled that he saw, and then some things that just have not been fulfilled yet. So, but you can come to that conclusion by taking it even the prophecy literally while handing the handling the prophecy as a prophecy. Does that make sense? Okay. Whew. Let's. Um, the grammar section is great. I do think that you should read it. We're going to skip over it for this point. Uh, in the historical context, which we've already discussed, he does refer to Jeremiah 29.11. And uh, you may or may not have had the time to read this. He says, the historical context, I'm on page 135, the historical context that reveals that Jeremiah 29.11 is not a blanket, blank check promise from God that nothing bad will ever happen to any of us today. He's talking about... <laughs> God's thoughts toward his people who he allowed to be conquered and taken into captivity because of their sin. And so it's important that while we can lift hope that that is the kind of God that we serve, it is important, especially as we relate to believers that are less mature than us, that we don't quote the scripture like it's a blank check. Because then they get a flat tire and they're going to wonder, where was your God now? Right? So we, want to, we do want to be careful in our approach. Now, what I think is uh, maybe more important, let go of your baggage. Okay? Let's read from this a little bit, the second paragraph. Page 130. Do you have page numbers? No. Like no. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's terrible. Stop with that. <laughs> it's good that you're doing something. Let go of your baggage, the second paragraph. After I'm sorry. Question six. Yes, after question six. Thank mm-hmm. you. Life experiences can also taint the way we read the Bible. Those abandoned or abused by their fathers may struggle more to understand what the Bible says about our loving Heavenly Father. Those who are raised with few rules and weak parents may have a hard time seeing the power and sovereignty of God. Our experiences have an impact on our desires, which in turn affect our interpretations. When we we read the Bible, we need to do everything we can to avoid making assumptions about what the Bible is saying. We need to let it speak for itself. So question seven 
And uh, please, this is where you want to jump in to discuss what would it mean for you to read the Bible with an awareness of your own baggage and a willingness to get rid of those assumptions for the sake of understanding God's truth more clearly. This is amazing. Um, I have a college class called uh, Group Dynamics, and the guy, the teacher, the professor, he, he's, he, he's all about people, well, Group Dynamics, <laughs> he's all about teaching people to interact with people no matter the person. Mm. They're black, I don't like that type of people. He's like, no, cut that barrier off. So basically, he gets down into stuff like that. But he said something in the last two classes that we met. He said, um, you don't know anyone's past when you come to them, so they may act a certain way because of something that happened in that past and they never let go of. Mm -hmm. He said something particular that stuck with me and told, really revealed to me um, why I do some of the things that I do and I don't know why I do them. He said some people have issues in their past, not that they remember, that, so they act this way, but that those issues were unmanaged. They they weren't cleaned up or or uh, clarified to that person. So it kind of stuck in that character. And um, ever since he said that, I've been being honest with myself about everything that I did, habitual things. If I you know turn the light switch on and turn it off and turn it back on again, out of being too hasty, I'll ask myself. Why did you do that? You know, things like that. And I actually kind of took that approach to the Bible. When I read it, um, It's about the Bible will be honest with you regardless of who you are <laughs> or what you think about it. But I need to be honest with myself and say, you know, when it says um, God knows his children and his children will love his children will love, that his children will do this. I have to be honest with myself. I'm God's child. Am I doing that? Instead of saying, oh, I'm God's child, I must, I must be doing that. You know, not, not checking. <laughs> not checking myself. And um, I love this approach. Getting rid of your baggage, to me, it means just um, just calm myself. Um, it, 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 it's, um, it's about not making it about what you want and getting rid of your desires to be honest with yourself and get ready to be clean. So that's, I thank God for that class. He told me, like, a lot of issues in people's lives like, um, are unmanaged. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, sounds like my life. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, I took that to the Bible and it works. Yeah. It works. Just that's be true. honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when I think it, when I look at that leftover bag, it just—it's like grow up, mature. Because you, you're going to see something, and the Word of God always shows you yourself. Mm-hmm. Always shows you where you really are. So, yeah. you know, I look at that and say, um, um, you know, stop holding on to your stuff. Just let it go. God is trying to free you, and you already know that before you even read it. So, just. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like you said, uh, sometimes we lie to ourselves. It's a protection. You know, we're trying to protect ourselves, our pride, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, when we get past that, we realize it's really not that bad. <laughs> you know, but the point is getting getting past that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't want to. Sometimes I'm just you know speaking mainly for myself. Sometimes we don't want to go to that. Because we don't want to um, be on, totally honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because of whatever might happen, whatever happened in our life, or whatever baggage we carry. Um, because um, I came to find out everybody has baggage. Mm-hmm. Everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what type of life you've been through, or whatever, everybody does. And um, sometimes when we realize it, um, in our opinion, the other person's baggage is not as bad as ours. And then sometimes mm. the other person, this other guy, baggage is worse than mine. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, what helped me understand that was a, a friend of mine that uh, went through a uh, situation with, it, with his uh, his life, and it was uh, you know 
don't think I could have uh, dealt with it. But he dealt with it. He dealt with it. He carried it on. He carried it on all his life to a, you know, older person. And then uh, it took, um, uh, like, uh, not necessarily, I don't want to say like, like reading the Bible, you know what I mean? But, but you know how we read the Bible and we read it to each other and we might quote scriptures or whatever. But it took a bunch of people to get him to realize that. And then he realized that he had this baggage. And, and he was saying, where was God? You know, mm-hmm. where was it? God is such a loving God. Mm-hmm. If he loves children, mm-hmm. if he said, if you hurt one of these little ones, you better millstone be thrown, tied around the neck and throw it in the deep part of the sea. Mm-hmm. But where was he in my situation? You know, yeah. And for him to um, hold on to this all his life, and it took several people along his life to realize this. But, you know, he, he's coming out of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and it took that for me to realize the baggage I had. <coughs> when I grew up, hmm. the things I went through, and how that, um, I want to say unconsciously, I was holding on to it. Mm-hmm. And I was using it as my defense to protect myself. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I don't have to protect myself. I don't. I mean, God has my back. We truly believe that. Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right. Forsake you is a big promise now. Yeah, that's right. a big promise. Never is a big promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Never is a big promise. Right. It is. And for Christ said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. Never forsaken me. That's a big thing. And for us to believe that, even going throughout situations, that mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, you didn't leave me, you sure you didn't forsake me? But it take us to go through that mm-hmm. to, and to be totally honest. Because, I mean, I was totally honest with God when I came out. Totally. I mean, just put down all round all pride and everything. And I'm totally honest and talking to him. Not disrespecting him or not, but just letting him know my heart. To let him, and then he let me know that, hey, look back. I never left. <laughs> I never would say, not me at one time. And, you know, it takes that to uh, for us to realize that and um, to let that baggage go. Yeah. You know, but. In order to get to that point, you gotta have the baggage. <laughs> you know, if you don't have the baggage, you can't get to that point. You can't get to, you yeah. know? So you gotta yeah. have the baggage. So you know, I thank God for the baggage. I really do. I mean, I, I really do believe that scripture. I thank God for the baggage. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't wish that they happened, but I thank I thank them for it because it helps me to get to the point I am now. Right. So when I do see in scripture things, and then I see it on people's lives and everything, <laughs> how they came their baggage. You know, it's like, oh man, you know, God is working with me as well. You know, he's a God through all generations. That's that's amazing. That's good. I wanted to share this. It's relevant. Uh, I think it was last Friday, or one of those Fridays, I went to a a prayer night at a church, awesome church, but Morgan State Comfort love, and the, the pastor. I, I don't. I don't like. I don't like when people try to induce guilt. But he wasn't doing that. That's what I thought because I wasn't being honest with myself at that moment. He he asked everyone, uh, uh, do, "Do you love God? Do you love God? Because it's the first commandment. It's the most important thing in the Bible. Do you love God?" And uh, he said, "If you love God, raise your hand." <laughs> He's like, "Okay." You know, everybody raised their hand because you know, customary. <laughs> Supposed, um, but uh, I, I would assume most of them were saying it with their heart. They really meant it. He said, "Okay, I got a test for you, and I promise you will fail." He asked us the three times, "Do you love God?" And we all raised our hands three times, and um, basically we went through. He showed us in the scripture. Um, well, he he read us the scripture, and it showed us how we were not loving God and it it showed me something that we should always be striving for God if I say that I love God why am I not living perfect why am I not perfect why am I not why am I still slipping up The, the, the thing is that I should be striving to love God more if I loved him the most there would be no reason to strive there would be no reason to seek him out I'm done I know him 
but he's inexhaustible. So I must keep seeking him. So when I say that I love God, that I don't think that I'm there, that I should keep going. And that message just resonated with me. That if I just would have, if I would have been honest with myself, I, I do love God, but if I would have been honest with myself and kept my hand down, then I would have been, I would have been shown how much I can love Him more. But by us having our hands up, trying to show everybody else that we love God, we did not. We, I mean, <laughs> we. You already think you got it, so how, you know you got it. Okay, you good. You love him, but you're lying to yourself because you don't. Because look at your walk, and you know that that shouldn't be a thing. That the the way that it was told, he didn't say it, but because it was the Holy Spirit in action and not my flesh, it didn't <laughs> induce guilt. It didn't bring, oh, you're not loving God. You're just a terrible person. You know, it brought you're not loving God. He's gives you an opportunity he will always give you an opportunity to love him more and that just like blew me away when you be honest with yourself and say God I do love you but I don't love you as much as I can love you as much as the heart that you gave me can allow me to love you when, you, when I be honest with myself and do that he opens up so much <laughs> it, it was amazing it was amazing I was humbled. I didn't say anything to anybody at night. But I was just so hurt. <laughs> but um, I, I, I love the honesty now, integrity. Just don't lie to yourself. Allow God to clean you. Mm-hmm. Um, he will. He will. He loves us. It definitely takes a, a real honesty with yourself to be able to start to approach the Bible. <clears throat> Uh, with an awareness of your baggage, but also to start to approach the Bible separating it from your baggage, mm-hmm. separating its meaning, not putting your meaning, projecting it onto. And from what Ronald said as well, so the two things that I definitely take away already from our answers are being honest with yourself, but also the interaction with other people. We were talking about this interaction with this other guy. Um, that that really helps you be aware of the baggage that you have in your own life. And you really can't, um, in answer to this question, read the Bible with an awareness of your own baggage and a willingness to get rid of those assumptions for the sake of understanding God's truth more clearly. You can't do that if you're not honest with yourself and you're not aware of what it is with the help of others. So maybe a couple other... um, Practical suggestions, any other tricks, tips to do some kind of technique, if you will, for approaching the scripture and to help you make that distinction between the baggage that you might, your emotional baggage that you might project onto that scripture. I think one way that I find to do it is to, to I mean, to get with another person and to bounce out, like, you know, to bounce it out. I was reading and I was reading the scripture and here's what I think the interpretation is, here's what I think the meaning is. And I think a lot of times you get there when you have someone opposite you who doesn't have your baggage. So, I mean, like Ben was saying, in community, saying, well, okay, I read that too, and I don't know where you're coming from here on this one. Um, but getting in, I mean, you know, in a group like this, or, you know, even, you know, one-on-one, and, and bouncing mm-hmm. an idea off someone who doesn't yeah. have your baggage that can say, I think you might be reading something into this, or... Have you have you tried looking at it this way? And I think that it, it really enhances when you have someone who actually knows you, who knows your baggage right. that you're bringing to the table, and can say, "Wow!" And, and then it, it, and I think that's one that's really beneficial. It helps. I mean, just you get more out of the scripture, but also be on that level and sharing the scripture together. I think just makes it even that much more rich and meaningful in your life when you can kind of, at least for me, when I can bounce it off couple people and figure it out yeah yeah and also like going off of that I think part of dealing with this idea of baggage may not always be a bad thing but also basically there's some scriptures where like I've ingrained certain like interpretations of meanings over the course of my life based on the sermons I've heard and I just have this like it may not be wrong maybe a correct um, you know meaning but it by discussing someone else and talking to someone else or someone just totally giving a totally different like 
view, it like forces me to sort of look at that scripture for its own worth and not basing off of what I've heard over and over and over again for the past whatever number of years. You know, taking the the scripture to not be unequally yoked and. I mean, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, I, I can go on and on, but like, my friend was doing that, I was just like, Jimmy, what is a yoke? And like, what is, I was like so shocked, and I, cause I assume like everyone knows what, you know, what that's supposed to mean, but the, having that conversation really forced me to, okay, have I been look, looking at this passage, and I really taking it, taking the time to actually dissect this, and even if my, uh, my, you know, my interpretation or whatever I think the meaning is, is correct, have I really, you know, dealt into every aspect of Person, so right. yeah, really bouncing up things and asking questions. And people asking you questions really, I think, always forces me to go back again and really not assume I know know it or I've, I've learned it all, or whatever. And this, you know, God is always going to show me something and or help. You know, uh, you know both of us as people do something together. Yeah, I like that because um, friends of mine that um, they use the scripture, um, no weapon shall prosper. You know, right. <laughs> you know and, and they use that, and but we don't finish it. We don't finish the script. We just say, you know, the weapon shall prosper. So, the, so the thing is, if somebody do something to me, it ain't going to be affected. Well, but it, it is. <laughs> you know, the says, no weapon shall prosper for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. purpose. Yeah. Right, and the thing is, we don't finish that. You know, um, you know, we just go to the part about you know, you know, grow up and prosper. So whatever they do ain't going to um, be okay. And it does. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I don't. I, I think that we more concerned about ourselves than we're concerned about what God. Wants. God is more concerned about what He wants, and He's concerned about what we want as well. But Christ says, if you have a problem, give it to God. And do God's will. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, I, I got a situation here. Okay, here, God. Okay, now what can I do? Yeah. You made me to do something for you. So, what can I do? So, um, I think with that, um, you know, we um, sometimes that baggage of handing over and over again. You know, we think, yeah, this is the way it's going to go, and, and it don't come out a lot of times. Sometimes. We be getting a lot of people's baggage across the pulpit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We may be getting a lot of baggage um, from preachers across the pulpit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and even with uh, today's book market, the whole publishing industry is geared towards sales. Mm -hmm. It, it, um, it, It Once upon a time, there were true, and I say this carefully, but there were true Christian publishers that were producing material based on the number of material that they believed were needed. And I say this because both of my parents are published authors. The way that, and it's not evil, it's not wrong, it's just the reality of what it is. But the market that is there now with all the bookstores that have been produced, all the other things, is it's now for profit. It was not before for profit. And so now what it is, by and large, is what is going to sell, not producing the material from a perspective of this is what needs to be produced. And so, therefore, what you get that you can purchase, you got to remember, just like higher education, just like other things, it is a business. And the news channels, it's the same thing. you got to take it all with a grain of salt. It is a business. It is content that is created so that they can make a profit, so they can get you to keep coming back. And the problem that I, and I'm not against Christian books. I love Christian books. I'm not against Christian conferences or concerts or anything where you pay money. I pay money. I'm not against, you know, these things. But I think it's wise for us as believers to look at what we're digesting from and say, Am I digesting something that was produced solely to make a profit, or am I producing something that is coming from a perspective of reflecting God and what God has to say to me and for my own life? Um, To explain a little bit better what I mean, with every sermon, with everything we do as a church, my goal really is to get you at a place where spiritually, as quick as possible... 
not in five years, as quick as possible to get you at a place where you are spiritually completely independent of me and my feeding. Okay? I believe that the scripture bears out that I'm to equip you for the work of the ministry. Now, I also think that God created us so that we still need that benefit. I think the author of Hebrews is absolutely correct that we you shouldn't neglect the gathering of the believers and that you should respect those in spiritual authority that God has placed over you. I still believe that. I'm not minimizing or um, trivializing the spiritual authority that God has given me to the extent that any of you look to me as your pastor. But to clarify what I'm saying, my goal is not to get you to keep coming back every Sunday dependent upon what happens at the church or you will spiritually fall apart. No. My goal, and this is the same in the martial arts community, okay? I took Taekwondo and some other stuff like that. There are martial arts studios where their whole purpose is to get you to keep coming back for 20 years. You get this belt, then you get that belt, and then you got... And what happens is the franchises, they, they, they the franchisees, they, they train them to put filler stuff in their content to keep you coming back longer. The military will train you to be proficient in hand-to-hand combat in six weeks. They don't need 20 years because they're not trying to make a profit off you. You're probably not going to live that long in that profession, okay? The kingdom of God is to be the same way. The reason we're looking at this book, the reason behind any content that I develop for a Sunday morning is to equip you to do the work of the ministry to motivate you also. Do you you guys realize that I regularly give you homework assignments? Like almost every Sunday I'm saying, today maybe you should do this. And I try to say it in polite ways and, you know, in gentle ways and and without being passive aggressive, you know. But it's because my heart and my experience spiritually is that if you are dependent upon me, there's a problem. Now, you can be spiritually dependent upon me for a season, but if it doesn't change, if you're not growing spiritually, then I am sinning against you, and I believe this is Scripture, by perpetuating what I would call the eternal childhood of the believer. And sadly, there are some in ministry that are doing this. Now, why am I saying this? It's relevant to the text and... Because now, you in turn, after our summer study, are now looking at the people that God has put in your life. I'm here to lead you into next steps with Jesus. And what is my motive? Because knowledge puffs up, and I can get proud, and if I have people that are spiritually dependent upon me, it feels good. It feels good to be needed. Right? It does. It does. But if you are doing the same thing to them that I'm saying that I cannot afford to do with you, then no wonder we are not effective. No wonder we're not affecting the city. We're not having a difference. If we shut down, nobody notices. Mm -hmm. Your mode of operation in training people how to use the scripture and, and training them how to set aside their emotional baggage and read it for what it actually says and come to a place right here in this um, a note on application accurately interpreting the Bible is not the final step the purpose of reading and interpreting the Bible is obedience and fellowship with God your heart your motivation as you turn around and disciple other people and I don't mean to say that this week you're all discipled by me and we're done that's not what I'm trying to say but this should be your heart as well that you're mentoring that you're training that you're leading people to be not rogues. It's not the Wild West. You're running around shooting people, and now you're gonna all you know start your own churches or whatever. You know, it's not like oh, you know, now we're all our own. You know, okay, I'm ordained. You know, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Clearly, but there is such a thing. And Peter wrote about the priesthood of all believers. We all have roles and responsibilities and stuff to do, right? And so we can't afford. Um, to go that route. Does that make sense? Can't We can't afford to have that mentality. And I think, you know, I think our church would probably be bigger if I wasn't saying stuff like this on a regular basis. Because on a pretty regular basis, you hear me say, like, this is not about attending the show. This is not about, that's not what a church should be. It, it, it is, it requires your engagement. It requires your involvement. And sadly, there are a lot of people that come to church 
almost everybody does, with some mixture of wrong motives. And one of those wrong motives is, I want to be comforted. Boy, did he just say that? (laughs) God does want us as a church to comfort people, to help bring his healing to them, yes. But there is a point where patients are discharged from the hospital. Right? It's one of Brittany's favorite times of the week when certain people are discharged. There comes a hospital is there to help you get healed and to discharge you. Right. Yeah. It's exactly what I conversations I have with my patients and it also helps me stay humble is to start the first meeting by saying how can we get you to a point where you don't need me anymore? Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm always going to need you. And it's like, yay, but that's not going to work. You know, I, security. Right, exactly. Like, wow. That's great. But it, it really, it's the same principle of you can't depend on me as your doctor, therapist to go with you and do this. You've got to have the skills. You've got to apply this. You've got to take it out into the world. And if right. you don't do the work... It's not going to happen, but that's not—that's not always the medical mentality, and I certainly don't think it's the spiritual mentality. Of, yeah, of a lot of yeah. the church. My experience has been—you tell me if I'm wrong here—that you actually spiritually mature the fastest when you're helping someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, you really do. Yeah. So please, please don't hear the wrong thing tonight. I'm not saying I expect you all to grow up. <laughs> I expect you all to not need me. That's not what I'm trying to say by this. I'm just... <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. I'm here for you. It is God brought us together for a reason. I'm here for you. I care for you. There is no problem too small. I love you. I love being around you. I want to help you. I want to help you more than I already am. But what I'm trying to do at the same time is peel back the curtain for your own benefit and show you what is a part of the filter in my mind. That's a part of this whole series that we're on on Sundays right now. What's the goal? How do we know? Because filling the bigger room is not the win. Right? What's the goal? How do we know if we're succeeding? And creating spiritual codependency is not the goal. It's not the goal. Some mature faster than others. Some, and I, God, like I said, God's put us in our lives to be a benefit. I think that we can benefit each other in heaven. I don't, I don't think that there has to be an end to this, us benefiting each other. But it should be our perspective when we turn around to disciple of the people as it relates to their approach um, to Scripture. So I hope that this chapter has helped you. Um, I would definitely um, recommend that you take the time to read it and read it carefully and consider what it's actually saying.